G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation. We have heard a lot about inflation and increased interest rates over the last few months. A simple definition of inflation in economic terms is a general increase in prices and fall in the purchasing value of money. Higher prices with money worth less. The Federal Reserve Bank in the US, with the Australian Reserve Bank following in its footsteps, put in policies aimed at controlling inflation, that is, raising interest rates, the cost to banks for borrowing money, which they then lend to consumers and businesses. Economic orthodoxy says that this higher cost of borrowing in turn dampens demand and economic activity. For example, if a car loan becomes more expensive, maybe you'll decide now is not the right time to buy that new convertible you had your eye on. Or perhaps a business will become less likely to invest in a new factory and hire additional workers if the interest it would pay on a loan to finance it goes up. At the same time, this is exactly what slows the pace of inflation. Prices for goods and services typically go up when demand for them rises. But when it becomes more expensive to borrow, there's less demand for goods and services throughout the economy. Prices may not necessarily go down, but their rate of inflation will usually decline. Okay, so that is what the Reserve Bank Governor dished up when he raised the interest rates. However, economic orthodoxy also states, lower unemployment is the cause of higher wage inflation that a negative relationship between unemployment and wage growth forms the basis of the so-called Phillips curve. What that economic wordplay actually means is that low unemployment equals higher wages. But in the US, the UK and Australia, wages have actually been in the doldrums ever since the global financial crisis of 2007 and 2008. Real wages sank in the years immediately after that crisis and although they were able to increase again on the back of very low inflation from 2012 onwards, they only returned to 2008 levels very recently, according to David Spencer, Professor of Economics and Political Economy at the University of Leeds. He was writing in May 2022. In fact... We now see the economic orthodoxy of low unemployment and high wages turned on its head and the decoupling of price inflation and wage inflation, or as Professor Spencer tells it. But the present shows us how price inflation and wage inflation can be decoupled. As a challenge to economic theory, workers are facing cuts in their real pay with seemingly no prospect of wages catching up with headline inflation. This is despite the fact that unemployment is low. Lower real living standards now represent the price of being in paid work 
and the cost of an economy that is jobs rich. So we have rampant inflation and low wages in the US, the UK and Australia. It is the ninth interest rate rise in Australia in as many months, with the Australian Council of Trade Unions saying the Reserve Bank of Australia's approach of fixing inflation by raising rates leaves workers to shoulder the load of inflation, despite the fact big businesses are passing on the costs of inflation in products and services, putting workers under more pressure. They continue to ignore their obligations around full employment. In real-world terms, the latest 0.25% increase added a further $92 a month to repayment for someone with a $600,000 mortgage. Let's take this a step at a time with the first question, why such low wages? I spoke to Michael Buckland from the McCall Institute about the new report, A Decade of Wages Lost for a perspective from the wage suppression situation in Australia. I'm particularly interested in this new report that uh, the McKell Institute's put out, which shows there's a decade of wages lost. Can you talk to my listeners about the difference between nominal wages and real wages, please? Well, re- um, nominal wages are the usual wages that go up every year. So most of us will find that our pay packet increases by a couple of percent each year. But at the same time, prices are also increasing. So what we do is we um, subtract inflation from wages, and that gives us real wage increases. So that's actual improvements in, uh, in standard of living. Um, and so for us to leave each generation better off, uh, you should see what real wages increasing. Unfortunately, what we've seen is a decline. Yeah, so, so what you're saying is buying power is down. Exactly right. So if your um, wages go up uh, by 4% and, uh, but prices go up by 3%, then your real wages went up by 1%, which is the difference between the two. Yeah. And what your report is showing is that there is a difference between this outcome across the country in different states. Yes. What, what's particularly concerning is that some states are being hit a lot harder than others. So we see in Queensland, real wages have fallen 2.5%. In New South Wales, they've fallen by almost a percentage point, um, and in uh, Tasmania, by 1.7%. Meanwhile, uh, I guess the only good news is in Victoria and South Australia, and I say good news relatively because in Victoria, wages have gone up by just 0.2%, and South Australia by 0.4%, so hardly anything to crow about. Yeah, but what you're really saying is that this has real world, real world effects and the reason for why a whole lot of essential workers are actually going out um, and demonstrating is that their, their wages are less than they were earning 10 years ago. That's right. It's really a story of whether wages are keeping up with the cost of living. And when they don't keep up, uh, people have to cut back and that leaves everyone worse off. And I, I give um, this example. I mean, the, the real wage decline is a function of two things. Normally, wages will increase every year. But because of the huge spikes in inflation over the last 18 months, and because wages grew so slowly over the last 10 years, it's only taken those 18 months to wipe off the whole decade of wage growth. So what that means is all those hard-fought gains made over a decade have been wiped out in just over a year. Oh, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Now, uh, if you go to some of the occupations that you actually point out, 
Nurses and correctional officers have lost almost $3,000 in real wages compared to a decade ago. That, that's incredible, isn't it? Yes. Uh, what's particularly concerning here is that these are the professions that are reporting some of the most severe worker shortages. Um, and what we see is if, if um, attracting people to the workforce is going to be harder, if in real time, in real terms, they are receiving wage cuts. So a, a year four nurse, registered nurse in New South Wales, for instance, is $2,979 worse off than they were 10 years ago. And so you would think that every year we would make, we would make gains, but unfortunately we've been left behind. But there's also sort of an oxymoron there. You'd think that when there's uh, uh, staff shortages, that they would be in a commanding position and they should be able to ask for higher wages, right? Well, one of the things that a lot of governments have done, uh, and it, it was in the federal government and in New South Wales, is they've introduced these wage caps. So these are artificial um, uh, laws uh, introduced to curb the power of workers in the public sector to demand wages uh, in line with what they should expect. And, uh, and so what's happened is they've used the fact that they're the government is the employer and the government also gets to make the laws, they've used that to their advantage to really introduce some hard caps. And what that means is it's a way to combat the power of workers uh, in those industries. But what we see is uh, while the government might see some savings in the short term, ultimately people leave the profession and they struggle to retain workers. And that's what we're seeing now. Now, um, that leads us into the fact that there's a, a policy architecture driving the slow wage growth in Australia, and this is at the same time as we've actually had economic growth. Let's go to some of the things that you guys have uh, pointed out. The um, support for a reduction in penalty rates, for example. Yes, yeah, so uh, over the last, um, under the, the former government, they described this as a deliberate design feature of their policy architecture, and that is to keep wages low. And uh, the McKellen Institute's been trying to look at what are the, the policies that are underpinning that, um, that position and, uh, and how have they operated and, uh, so that we can effectively unwind them. Um, and one of them is uh, we, we see um, a reduction in penalty rates a couple of years ago. We also see things like the uh, Fair Work Commission has increasingly had business uh, representatives of business appointed, and rather than have it as uh, uh, representatives of, uh, across the Australian uh, representatives from across the Australian community, representing workers, business, and uh, and and the legal profession, we instead just have a business-friendly environment. Um, we've also seen uh, things like using uh, migration um, to push wages down, a failure to act on wage theft and not regulating the gig economy. These are all things that are done to put downward pressure on wages. Uh, and obviously I mentioned public sector wage caps earlier. And what's, what I find most offensive about all this is that exactly as you mentioned a moment ago, this has occurred at a time when the economy has been uh, growing. So we, we've all been talking about the last year or so have been tough economic times and we can all uh, agree on that. But over the last 10 years, when profits were increasing, when the economy was growing, workers were not keeping up. And so what that means is that they were in a vulnerable position to lose all those gains in a matter of uh, 18 months. So um, 
there's been uh, an, an interesting announcement uh, in that um, the composition of the uh, Fair Work Commission, uh, which is often called the Unfair Work Commission, I'll have to say. <laughs> well, they've just um, uh, put in a new person who has a background in uh, representing, uh, he's a lawyer, and he's, a, a, he's now the acting president of the um, commission, uh, Adam Patcher. He used to uh, be the legal representative for the Transport Workers Union. Um, so he's obviously around it, the issues, but I mean, he's got a particular brief that he has to work to because that's how um, the, uh, the commission operates. But do you think that that's going to have any uh, effect or do you see this as being uh, a, um, a good um, position to be taking from this new government? Overwhelmingly, I think it's a, a step to the right direction. And I don't think anyone is served by having a partisan or a, um, a biased uh, commission. I mean, we, what we want is, is fairness and people will constantly argue. I mean, it's a place for people to argue their case. But the important thing is, is to have balance because when you have a variety of views, then at least they're heard. And we can all argue over the exact composition and the merits of each individual person. But ultimately, over the last 10 years, the, the composition of the commission has been skewed. And that's, what's been, that's one of the things that's been concerning. Um, so ultimately, I think this is a step towards balance. And um, it's going to take a long time. I, I don't you know, I think the, the new Albanese government has taken steps in the right direction. But um, to be honest, it's going to take a long time to overcome uh, how far we, we went down the low-wage uh, route in this country. It's ideological, it would appear to me, um, in the sense that um, all the uh, attention is actually on inflation. Uh, and... and Workers are the ones who are supposedly the ones who are supposed to take it on the chin um, without profits being affected. Um, I mean, that's how it appears. This goes to, to um, actually the, the story of the last 10 years. We've had 10 years in which the economy has grown and that, and that apparently wasn't the time for workers' wages to rise. And now we have inflation growing and it's also not the time for workers' wages to rise. Um, now, to be fair, there's one person who has been, um, you know, he's get, getting a bit of a hard time at the moment, but um, the RBA governor, Phil Lowe, um, he did say he wanted to see uh, wages higher over the last 10 years. And uh, unfortunately, he's now saying because of inflation, he wants to see wages lower. But the truth is we never saw it in either case. So it seems to be that at all times... Um, it's always a good time to keep workers' wages low, but never a good time to increase. That seems to be the message out of policymakers for the last decade. Do you think? Do you have any suggestions? Have you got a wish list? What do you think might happen? Uh, mechanisms that might be able to turn this around. Well, one of the the um, first things we want to see done is uh, to legislate against wage theft. Um, it's something oh, right. that, seen, that I think is. Not so controversial um, these days, um, but some of the uh, industries that are, are, are beset by some of the lowest wages um, are those that where wage theft is most common. Um, and so we really need to lift them up. They're also often workers who are the least able to um, organise or find protections through their union. And so we do find that um, 
that needs to, to happen. The second area is in the gig workforce, which is no longer uh, just um, a free. It's no longer just Uber. Yeah, and it's, yeah, not it's just now a taken over many aspects of our um, economy. So we look at it, for instance, um, uh, most people delivering services through the National Disability Insurance Scheme are now doing so through an app. Uh, people delivering food are doing it through an app. Uh, people delivering, uh, and, and of course, doing people in rideshare uh, are doing it through an app. And so it's starting to take, and we're seeing this also in delivery drivers, uh, delivering packages is, is starting to be done through an app. And so um, all these places are way where, way where we promote some degree of flexibility in the economy. And in many cases, people like that. But what we need to do is make sure that when we embrace that flexibility, we don't throw out the workers' entitlements that were hard fought for um, in, in, in the process. Yeah, so what you're talking about is some sort of regulation because it was pointed out to me uh, that um, once the person accepts something, uh, some work on an app, they actually are making an ex a legal acceptance, um, you know, sort of a licensing agreement that um, separates them from all those entitlements that would have existed in um, employment law. Uh, that, that's right. And, and so essentially they become, uh, you know, independent contractors. But the, the distinction between an independent contractor and an employee is sometimes quite nebulous. And uh, I'm not sure how we're all going to be able to, to, to manage it. But I'd say that number two, the two first two things on my list to change would be wage theft and the regulation of the gig economy in all its forms. Um, and, and to be honest, the next thing that needs to really happen is um, more cultural, and that is that uh, businesses in Australia need to learn to innovate and make, uh, better, uh, make better profits without just relying on put, putting downward pressure on wages. It's a, a lazy uh, business-as-usual approach, and, uh, and to be honest, it's, there's not much more you can squeeze people before we start going backwards, as we can see in the last 18 months. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. We've been hearing from Michael Buckland. He's the CEO of the McCall Institute and the co-author of the report into wages suppression in Australia, a decade of wages lost. Let's now ask the question, if wages are so low, who is in fact fueling inflation? We go back to part of a webinar put on by the Australia Institute we are going to hear a little from Dr Jim Stanford, the economist and director at the Centre for Future Work at the Australia Institute, who lays it all out for us. You know, the title for this webinar was Should Wages Keep Up With Inflation? And uh, if you've studied literature, that is what's called a rhetorical question, <laughs> because uh, the answer is, yeah, <laughs> or you could say, hashtag, duh, uh, if you wanted to, you know, to be uh, social media-ish about it. Uh, of course, wages should keep up with inflation. If they don't, that means the real standard of living of people who work for a living is shrinking. And uh, whatever the macroeconomic problems are out there, there's absolutely no justification why we should actually have a lower real standard of living. Uh, we're actually producing more uh, than we ever have as an economy. We're producing more per hour of work than we ever have as an economy, thanks to skills and efficiency and technology. So uh, we should have higher standard of living, not lower. So. 
short answer is yes, wages should keep up with inflation. Now, of course, uh, I'm going to show a couple uh, graphs to, to elicit that uh, a little bit more. And I've, I've named this section in honor of Phil Corey at the uh, Fin Review, uh, <laughs> who said last week, if wages kept up with inflation, it would be a one-way ticket to the Weimar Republic. Now, that is a soundbite. The Weimar Republic, of course, was Germany in the 1920s, where they had hyperinflation and you had to have a wheelbarrow to push money around to buy a loaf of bread. And this, of course, is the specter that haunts all of these discussions about wages and inflation. The idea if we keep up with inflation, then somehow we're going to lock it in and it's going to get worse. In fact, there's uh, no uh, economic evidence. If Phil Corey was your uncle and came over for dinner and you got into this debate, here's five comebacks to Uncle <laughs> Phil. Uh, about why wages should keep up with inflation, and then some. That's the other point. Number one, not even the Fin Review argues that wages caused this current surge in inflation. There's absolutely no evidence that this is a labor market-driven problem. The inflation clearly came from disruptions in global supply chains like semiconductors and automobiles, from the energy price shock, of course, that accompanied the uh, invasion of Ukraine, and perhaps to some extent, a surge in consumer spending after the lockdowns, because people were anxious to get out and spend. And some people, not everyone, some people had a lot of money to go out and spend because the uh, savings went up during the pandemic. So those are all things that explain this sudden rise in consumer price inflation. That's the red line. Wages do not explain the rise in consumer price inflation. You see the blue line for the wage price index that the ABS uh, publishes every quarter. and uh, it was, in fact, shrinking in 2019 when inflation was rising in 2019, before the pandemic. Uh, then we had the pandemic. Consumer prices dipped for a while, but then took off. And there's been very little change, as we've been pointing out, very little change in uh, wage inflation over that whole period. So number one, wages didn't cause this. So why should workers have to pay for it in the form of lower real wages? That's a pretty fundamental question. Number two, there's no evidence that even if you did suppress wages as part of this effort to wrestle inflation to the ground, that inflation would in fact come back. And the experience that we document in our report in the last nine years from 2013 on shows that the increases in unit labor costs, so the amount of money that a company has to pay out uh, to its workers for each unit of production that it uh, it comes off the uh, line at the at the exit uh, to the factory or whatever other business it is, uh, consumer price inflation was much faster than unit labor cost inflation. That wasn't always the case. So previously, the two tended to be quite close together, 2.8%, 2.9% there at the left of, uh, side of the graph, in spitting distance of the RBA's 2.5% inflation target. So that's the kind of a normal world that you'd expect. Target inflation, unit labor costs growing, wages growing by faster than that because uh, productivity is part of the formula there, and inflation going along at about the same pace. That all changed after 2013. Uh, inflation in wages was very, very low as we've documented, but inflation in prices, while lower than it used to be, was not as low as it should have been given how weak wages were. And the difference was a widening margin in the prices of everything that we pay that was in the form of profits uh, for the businesses that sold those things. So cutting wages, no guarantee at all that uh, inflation will come down. Uh, in fact, item number three, in theory, wages are supposed to grow faster than inflation, not just match inflation, but grow faster than inflation because each hour of labor is producing a little bit more real output. And 
even though we've had some ups and downs during the pandemic, productivity growth is still carrying on. In fact, it's been a little bit stronger in the last two years than it was before the pandemic. And we'll see if that is sustained or not. But the reality is each worker in Australia, on average, produced 2% more per hour of work per year after the pandemic than before, 2% a year. So that's 4% over two years. There's my PhD in economics again. Add that to the 5.1% inflation. That's where wages should be. So if you really want to give Phil Curry a heart attack, say, no, it's not 5.1%. We want 7.1% to match inflation plus get the productivity dividend. Now, you can't match these things on a month-to-month basis, and there's going to be lots of drama in the months ahead. But certainly, the argument is strong that wages should be growing at least as fast as inflation. The fourth thing to keep in mind is that labor is only a share of the total production cost of the Australian economy anyways. In fact, a surprisingly small share of direct uh, production costs. If you look at the uh, lovely input-output tables that the ABS produces, which keep track of everything that businesses spend and how much they charge, direct labor costs, including superannuation, is just 25% on average of direct production costs. You could have uh, all labor costs, not just the minimum wage, but all labor costs go up by 5%, and that would only affect directly 5% of total business costs. Now, of course, there's more than that because you've got the input costs that businesses buy, and there's labor that's built into those. But even when you take take account of those indirect or second-order effects, the reality is a 5% increase in labor costs in no way causes a 5% increase in output costs. It might cause half that much at most, and uh, that's another uh, fact. The last point to keep in mind is uh, wage price spiral or wage price inflation is not the term. Because of those uh, trends that I mentioned that uh, unit labor costs were growing slower than inflation, that means the profit margin on output was growing. And we saw that big time during the pandemic. We have never seen business profits reach such a large share, 30% of GDP at peak, 30%, more than twice the traditional level of profits in the post-war era uh, because of all the favorable things, including the emergency subsidies paid out to businesses during the pandemic. So businesses increased their share of the overall GDP pie by two percentage points during the pandemic. Workers lost one and a half percent of that. And this looks like a small number, one and a half percent, but we're talking tens of billions of dollars in foregone wages that have been transferred and then some uh, to business profits. So if there's any group in society that should tighten its belts to help bring inflation back to the ground. Uh, It should be businesses who are enjoying the biggest share of profits uh, in Australia's post-war history. Uh, So there you go, Uncle Phil. Let's let's, uh, get down and argue that one out a bit more. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03-9419-8377 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
sloppy boss man Why can't you hear me when I call My big boss man Why can't you hear me when I call Where you ain't so mean You just tall Oh, well, you ain't so 